You're listening to Trek FM. There was a little bar in Mill Valley where all the Starfleet trainees used to go. The 602 Club. You know it. <laughs> I was there more times than I can remember. Welcome everyone to Trek FM's local watering hole where the hosts from the network, you know, they drop by. Uh, We've got friends coming around to talk all things geeky and I love it because I don't know what's going on with Ruby these days. But she's pretty much given me the moratorium on talking anything but Star Wars from now till December. We will have one exception when next week we talk about Mockingjay Part 2. She said she's excited to see that one, but other than that, she's she wants only Star Wars talking. So I said, okay, you run the show. So uh, she's been serving up nothing but blue milk and Corellian brandy uh, and calf, which is fantastic because uh, sometimes you need that uh, quick jolt of caffeine to stay awake. I'm really excited uh, to get into this, what we're going to do here. Um, but before we do that, just want to remind everybody that the 602 Club is part of the Trek FM network. You can find all of those shows at iTunes.com slash Trek FM or online at Trek.FM. We are on Twitter at Trek FM, Facebook at Facebook.com slash Trek FM. And of course, you can find us in the Babel Conference, which is the listeners only discussion group where we can talk about any of the episodes that we've been talking about. And in fact, we've been bringing up old episodes, talking about the man from Uncle again and Supergirl and all sorts of fun stuff. You can also send in your feedback for any of the shows that we talk about here at Trek.FM slash contact. Choose a show, choose the 602 Club. That'll come to me and send me the email. And, of course, you can also leave us a voicemail like we had last week for the first time. Just look on the sidebar of the show page or go to speakpipe.com slash trekfm. Well, let me introduce everybody that's here. I'm glad to have these guys back. It's like the Star Wars posse. <laughs> and uh, I've got I've got Bruce in the 602 Club. Bruce, how's it going, man? Hey, Ruby, one more drink over here, please. Thanks. Uh, yeah, thanks. Um, I just had to <laughs> order one more for... Uh, before we get started here, thanks, thanks, Ruby. Um, yeah, thanks for having me. I'm really excited to talk about uh, Air to the Empire, which I always have to be. Ruby, tell the band to turn it down. Okay, that that can't that Biff band. Jeez, tell them to shut up. Okay, thank you. All right, thanks sorry, guys. Yeah. God, yeah, yeah. I, it was so loud I couldn't even hear myself think. I, because you know what, because. I have to be so careful to say heir to the Empire, not heir to the Jedi. I keep having to think that through. Mm. Yeah, mm-hmm. one of those is good, and one of those is Sarlacc poopy. So, and you don't even want to know what that's like. But John, uh, great Sarlacc's to have you back poop. in the Six Hundred Two Club, of course. Part of the bylaws. Yeah, no, so. uh, th- thanks. I, I'm actually having a Corellian ale Ooh, uh, tonight. Fantastic. And now you've got me thinking, would a Sarlacc need to poop? I mean, the thing's living in the middle of the desert, and it's you know trapped in the hole. So I really, I would really postulate that it wouldn't want to excrete any waste of any kind. But can a biological organism exist without excreting waste? That's a good point. So now, now, now I'm like sort of turned around in my own I head. I don't even want to think about what and how that works. Uh, 
So let let's well, let's with not. the sand um, it works like cat litter, right? It would just clump <laughs> up. Oh, that's right. Yeah, <laughs> that's what the Dune Sea was. Mm-hmm. Was it was just the Sarlacc's giant litter box? That is, man, we have figured go. this out. I'm glad we nailed this <laughs> hey, one Ruby, down, guys. Uh, no, uh, we're no done. more drinks. No more drinks. We're good. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm excited because. Um, the idea came to me as we were approaching The Force Awakens of going through the uh, original novels that Timothy Zahn had done that, in my mind, uh, growing up, I figured these are what 7, 8, and 9 are going to be. We'll never get these films. It's never going to happen. I probably should not use the word never like that because apparently it, that's not always the case. So... And I thought it would be great to talk about these because for so many people, these books specifically, just these three, these original Zon books were held in such high regard and really did, for me and for millions of other fans, were what we considered to be the 7, 8, and 9 of the, the saga. So we're back here. Uh, we've traveled back in time. To 1991, and that's how we're going to be talking about these books. We are not going to be uh, making them live up to things that they could not live up to. So in the world that we're talking about here for these books, the prequels don't exist, the Clone Wars, Rebels, all of that stuff. Timothy Zahn had a very clean slate. All he had were the, the scripts, obviously, the films, and any other ancillary materials that... Lucasfilm wanted to to share with him, uh, you know, West End games, uh, Marvel comics, those kind of things. That's the kind of stuff that he's got to work with. Other than that, he's got a, a wide open space. Uh, uh, sorry to quote the Dixie Chicks there, uh, but uh, hmm. Ruby keeps them on replay here sometimes. So being back at the beginning, the beginning of the Star Wars EU, which is now Legends, I wanted to ask you guys what your experience was reading these books for the first time and kind of what you thought of them. And and maybe you might have had a progression. You know, you, you might have ha- started in one place and ended up another one, or you might have always had the same opinion. But I just kind of wanted to see where you were, uh, especially since, you know, in 1991, I got to say this book, it rocked my world as a Star Wars fan. So, well, Bruce, what about you? Well, I saw it. Of course, I never knew the book was coming out. It just happened to be in a store and all of a sudden, boom, there it is. And I like squealed like a little girl when I saw it. Uh, and which wasn't that when that song was out. Whoop, there it yeah, is. Yeah, I think Whoop, they got the idea is. for me. That that Okay, yeah. yeah. That, yeah. <laughs> I think <laughs> technically that song came out 2 years later. <laughs> That was when the third book came out. <laughs> Sorry. Uh, yeah. So, okay. So I'm trying to, okay. So here's the thing. I never, I never read novels outside of a school assignment. And at this point I had just graduated college and I just started to read novels for pleasure, which was an odd thing for me to do. I didn't do that. It would, you know, that just never read novels and thought that was weird. And here I was starting to read novels and I was reading Star Trek novels and then when this novel appeared, of course, I'm going to read this Star Wars novel. I 
wasn't sure if it really technically was supposed to be episode seven, but because it didn't have George Lucas's name on it, I went into it as kind of like, well, it may be a seven, but I don't think this is really the story he may have planned. So I never read it thinking this was episode seven, but, um, honestly, cause you know, I should be honest about everything. So honestly, uh, <laughs> I I just thought it was okay at the time. I it I think what I struggled with is when I the thing I liked about Star Wars at that time and still do, but at that time it's really about a movie experience and hearing the John Williams soundtrack and watching the visual effects. Reading it on the page just didn't do it that much for me. So it was and this is similar to what I said about The Empire Strikes Back for years you know, I, I didn't think people liked Empire Strikes Back because what kids were saying in my school. Same thing with these novels. I went to a Star Trek convention just like a couple years after this book came out. And during a panel, I don't know what the discussion was, but a fan stood up and said, well, I hope whatever they're doing with Star Trek, it's not as bad as those new Star Wars novels that came out. And everybody applauded. And I thought, oh, my gosh, people hate these novels. What? Yes. <laughs> yes. What? I wow. <laughs> so for years, I mean, I didn't think it was bad. I was just, I just Star Wars didn't work for me as well on the page as it did on the screen. But I was like, gosh, I didn't think they were that bad. But man, they people absolutely hate these novels, and I thought that for years. And now, of course, I hear people say that's the best trilogy of Star Wars novels that are out there. Wow, I, I'm seriously, I'm trying to process uh, a crowd of people applauding the line. Not as bad as those Star Wars novels. Now, I'm, I'm glad you said that it doesn't work as well on the page because I'll, I'll step back into yesteryear. It really was a different time. And I think you, you call that out properly. Like nowadays we have, uh, I remember making fun of it for Spectre where it was like we had a teaser poster for a poster for a trailer for a teaser for you know, like it was just it's like the snake is eating its tail now. They can't do anything without like a, a four month ramp up process. And so, yeah, I went to high school near a mall. And so, like, what did you do to kill time when you were, you know, you had a couple hours after school waiting for people to pick you up? You'd go walk down to the mall and you'd go walk around. And um, so we're walking around and we would always happen by the bookstore because I loved buying books and, and flipping through books. And the West End Games books were out and I loved going by and looking through those. And we're walking by and we see in the window, Heir to the Empire. And I remember seeing the cover for the first time and looking at it and going, what? what, what is this? What, what are you talking about? And like, we went in and we were like, Oh, Oh my, Oh my God, this is a star Wars book. And I'm like flipping through. I'm like, yeah, this is brand new. What, what happened here? And you know, you read the back, you know, you, the, the dust jacket and you're like five years after the battle of Endor, what the, and so, you know, go out, pool money, come back to the store, buy it. I tore through the book. I'm a very slow reader, especially back in high school. And, uh, Probably tore through the book in a handful of days. Pass it around to all of my friends. Okay, everybody takes a turn reading it sort of thing. And, um, of course, it came back to Papa afterwards. But, um, like, I remember reading it, and my two reactions were, one, I was like, wow, this is so cool. And Mara Jade is awesome because I dig redheads too, and that's great. <laughs> and I liked Thrawn. I thought, like, I was like, oh, okay, Thrawn's a different kind of commander. I like this. 
uh, the Nogiri, I was kind of like, yeah, okay, that's kind of cool. I can see that. But I remember very distinctly at the end, the way that it ended and goes to be continued, I actually got upset because I was like, what the hell, man? I'm like, I wait this long for a book and I got it. And it was at that point that it dawned on me. I was like, is this going to be a trilogy? And there you go. Like the the to be continued, I felt was just a huge cheat. And I think that um, even back then it was like, just because you know you have two more books coming does not excuse you from resolution of your of at least most of your plot lines. And like I just always felt that the book lacked that resolution that I wanted, at least internal resolution, but before it went on to the next story. It didn't the end of it didn't feel like that big sweeping and this is the end moment you get with the Star Wars movies. Yeah, that's a good point. Uh, I remember, you know, because I'm a little bit behind you guys in in time. You know, I'd never seen Star Wars in the theaters, so I didn't have that experience. And you know, then when these books come out, I heck, I'm the kid who is sitting around trying to write his own sequel to Star Wars, you know, because that's that's how into it I got, you know. So the fact that somebody would do this was just awesome i gotta read this you know so uh, i loved the the story and uh, i remember reading you know the first one and and really really enjoying it i couldn't wait you know for the next one to come out and and i think what was so great about this and in my mind in that time period it felt like a good extension of what i'd seen in like return of the jedi and uh, trying to plot out a new story obviously you know again we don't have the prequels we don't have any of that stuff but i was loving the new characters that he was introducing it you know thrawn is the completely different type of villain from what we had seen in in the original trilogy so that was good they're not just repeating what they did before you know zon's not just creating a clone of the emperor or darth vader or something um yes that's a dig at dark empire it should be uh yeah, um, you know, so all of the stuff, it, it felt fresh, and yet at the same time, it felt like the universe that I loved in in the films. And so I couldn't have been more excited, you know, to, to be reading this story and starting this story. And uh, nobody that I knew, you know, that did, did read that didn't seem to like it either. So uh, it's interesting having the different experiences here, though, of... of where people were and what they thought of it and because this i mean it was a huge deal i mean star wars were completely in the dark times and this is really before we even get a whiff of prequels are going to be coming so i we have no other source of new star wars other than this book and 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 of course, what will come down the line with like Shadows of the Empire and that kind of stuff, where it was a big multimedia event, and video games, and you know, so. But that's part of the issue I had. I mean, not, and again, I like the novel, but you got to think it was the dark times of no Star Wars. Will we ever see Star Wars come back to the movie theater again? And a book shows up, and I'm like, oh, this means no more Star Wars. No episode seven, no one, two, three, and we're farming this out to another author. 
I guess Star Wars is no longer on the screen anymore and we're done. That's how I saw it. And I was thankful to have a novel and I was thankful to see more content come out with more stories. But to me, that was a sign that the movies were done, that George stopped it and he was farming it out to novels and comics at that point. So it was it was not it was a joyous occasion for me, but not totally. I looked at it as a death sentence. Mm. For movies. I, you, you know, I, th- I think that's a fair point because I think when you see the novel come out, especially because, I, again, like to, to go back to sort of like be in that mental mindset of what it was like to not have the big multimedia campaigns and Facebook and Twitter and Instagram and all of that stuff pushing everything. We didn't even have MySpace. Yeah. <laughs> Savages. Or friends. Savages. How I do mean- we not eat each other in the streets? It's crazy. But... Uh, seeing a book definitely I, I agree with you Bruce was a sign that okay the film era's done you're just going to get other media now like the, the, I agree with you this this was a giant sign of this is just where your focus should be we're not doing anything else on the movie screen it's over I think uh, you know I, at least in my mindset then like I never conceived of there being more Star Wars you know and the story was pretty wrapped up you know, I mean, uh, Darth Vader and the Emperor had been defeated and, you know, Luke Skywalker was going to go on and train a new, you know, group of Jedi and Han and Leia are going to get married and, you know, probably have Jedi babies. And so, you know, I, I didn't really expect that there would be uh, anything else uh, coming down the pipeline. And so... um I, it's it's interesting because I, I I guess I just wasn't having that thought, Bruce. That we Star Wars was dead on screen. We might get more, and it was probably because I never had the experience of seeing it in the theater. So for me, you know, Star Wars was always something where if you've only seen Star Wars on the small screen, you know, it the, I only saw it on my tube TV. That's all I got. It it wasn't as big a deal cinematically to me as it could have been if I had seen it on the big screen watching, you know, amazing things happen before my eyes. It, it just wasn't quite the same. Uh, and I think, I wonder, I, I'm, I'm wondering, that's a great question. I, I'm really interested to see, hopefully in the Babel Conference, what people think that are more your age, Bruce or, or John, um, just a few years older than I am so you kind of grew up and and how they kind of thought of it because that's a really interesting question of if if that only seeing it on TV in your house had an impact on whether you thought Star Wars might ever come back yeah I I agree but but also speaking to the feel and and uh also you know that earlier point of it not translating as well on the printed page I I would say Looking at it again now, the plot itself feels, you know, okay, back then I had fewer, fewer of these issues would have jumped out at me. But reading it now, it became more clear that probably what was not resonating as strongly with me as a fan was the fact that it felt too small in terms of its story. Like, it didn't feel like there was anything truly, you know, really expansive or groundbreaking about it. There wasn't a sense of, oh, my gosh, this 
part of the story had to be told. I had to find out about this. It was more of a feeling of this is really cool and I really like it and these characters are neat, but there wasn't that that sense. I, I'd be interested to know from you guys, like especially reading it now, I look at the plot, I'm like, oh, this feels a lot more small than it did at the time. You know, like like more well, contained. Yeah. No, I think that's a great time to kind of talk about continuing the original trilogy and and how we feel that this story, you know, does that with the plot points and everything. And on that point, John, for me, I wrote even in my notes, uh, this book is a slow burn. Yeah. And I think that's intentional because in some ways I think that this book starts off very much more like A New Hope where it's it's the main characters and they're kind of expanding the world, the universe, just a little bit. Obviously, we're on this big imperial planet that used to be mm-hmm. their <laughs> with, uh, you know, capital, with, Coruscant, which Zahn named, and, and George Lucas liked it and took it. Um, well, so Zahn, th- there's that. Zahn had a choice of two names, and Coruscant was the one he picked. Yes. Yeah. Uh, well, it, it's, good, it's a good name. Oh, I agree. Uh, although... That Coruscant had mountains. Yeah. Uh, Quick question. This, who else you... pronounced it Coruscant in their head or Coruscant? I never made the C silent until I heard it pronounced elsewhere. And, I was like, and even in the, in the Jedi radio drama, they say Coruscant. Oh, that's true. And it wasn't yeah. Yeah, like whenever I read it, I, it was Coruscant. Was I the only I wasn't the only one, was I? No, I think you're right. I think I do remember f- reading it that way back then until the prequels came out. I don't think I even remember at this point. Oh, okay. Honestly. Fair enough. Fair enough. It, just because, you know, it, it, a mere nine years later, it, it always became, and so I think it's probably just I remember also thinking of it as croissant. <laughs> mm, mm, yeah, with some nice butter and, <laughs> yeah, excellent. Now, see, the thing is, there you go. There is a marketing opportunity for Disney right there. When you go down to their Star Wars land that they're building and you go into whatever uh, breakfast place they have, the Coruscant Croissant rolls right off the tongue. There you it's go. Ask for royalties, Bruce. Perfect. I love it. But, no, I, I think – I do think – and so I want to ask you guys. Do you think it's intentional? I mean, we're we're going to deal with these books by themselves, so we're starting off with the original one here. But do you think it's an intentional thing to start off a little bit smaller and slowly expand, you know, so that – you're giving hints of some things going on in other places, but I mean, honestly, then the the next book and then the next book, they they he does kind of explode the universe wide open. It does slowly get bigger, but this one definitely. I don't know. What do you think? Hmm. Well, the pacing. Maybe he was looking at the then only trilogy. There's three films, and A New Hope slowly builds up. And then it starts to really get more explosive when you get to the Empire Strikes Back and Return of the Jedi. So maybe he was trying to take that same approach of kind of building up to it, introducing new characters, build, bringing the char- our familiar characters back together again and reintroducing them to us and, and kind of setting the stage before going into books two and three. Maybe it was intentional. I don't know. I, I remember hearing Timothy Zahn, even back then, reading an article that he was listening to the John Williams uh, scores in his car as he was thinking all this through and, and making sure the pacing felt like it did with the music. So maybe it had to do with the certain music he was listening to. Maybe he's hmm. listening to a New Hope score at that point. I don't know. Yeah, that That's an interesting possibility. Uh, I, I'm sure that he did have it as uh, more of a slow burn on purpose because 
you know, I, I guess that is the harder part of to put my brain back into was is the fact that there was so little Star Wars material out there. Like you had to be a nerd. You had to be into the West End games to really get the ancillary materials that were available in 91. And so maybe he did feel an obligation to ease everybody back into it instead of throwing them into the deep end. Um, and so, yeah, I, you know, I'm sure, I'm sure it was uh, very intentional, you know, to, to just bring everybody slowly into it. Well, and I mean, that's what's interesting too here is that one of the things we won't do is really spend too much time anywhere we've already been before in the Star Wars universe. You know, the only place that we're going to go back to that we've already been is Dagobah. Everything else is new. So this book is spent with a lot of things that he's having to describe and kind of let you know where you are, give you a sense of, of how big something is, how grand something is. You know, I mean, from Admiral Thrawn and his fleet to where they end up with Jurassic Sabath, uh, to all of this stuff, uh, to Talon Card and, and Amara Jade's hideout there. I mean, uh, it's uh, there's an incredible amount that's going on in the story that's brand new. So when you're introducing all of that, plus, like you guys said, reintroducing characters that we haven't seen in five years and kind of placing them where they are and, and how they've grown. I mean, obviously, you know, you read, you know, Luke and, and Han and Leia and Mon Mothma and, and Admiral Akbar and all of these people there's definitely a progression here of, of where we were, but now where we are. So I, that, that's I would, even just saying it out loud. That's a heck of a lot of work for one book to try and get across. Yeah. And, and I think, I think it is successful in establishing, I, I mean, for whatever missteps there might be uh, that are, you know, apparent to me now, uh, it is still successful in building a a galaxy, a universe that feels like Star Wars, because the planets do feel right. I, I, I you know, it's, it's hard to quantify, but it's like the descriptions of things feel correct for you know for a Star Wars story, um, with the one exception of the East Salamiri, which were the that that was the one bit of the story that was really hard for me to accept like now I look at it I'm like okay they had to have a way to do x y and z with Luke and and uh can you Matt can you pronounce um because the thing is that this is another pronunciation thing I always called him Jeruah Sabath and you pronounce it how I just said Joris Sabath okay Uh, similar but but yeah, it's sort of like that. It's that whole it's that whole pronunciation yeah. thing. Uh, but um, yeah, or the well, you said it earlier differently, but I always think of it as the Nogri. Yeah, yeah, and I always said yeah, I always I that's what I originally said, but then a friend of mine pronounced it Nogiri, and it stuck with me just all of these years. Um, and he did that because of the H or so. They they really need to introduce pronunciation tables in these books. But um, <laughs> yeah, you know, <laughs> just have it online with somebody 
uh, saying yeah. all the words. Like they did that for Harry Potter. Uh, you know, obviously it's a kid's book and there's a lot of words that sure. kids don't necessarily use in the words she made up. So they had a pronunciation guide on uh, scholastic.com. You can still find it if you search right. And, you know, so it has the the British lady and she's reading you Felix Felicis, you yeah. know, or whatever the word is. So, uh, and my favorite was Voldemort, he who must not be named. Very cute. Very cute. But but did the E. Salamiri, did anybody else have a problem back then? Sort of like accept, like reconciling that with your notion of the force. I didn't have a problem back then about it, but reading it now, I did, because I feel like I knew more about the force, and I don't really understand how some creature can just change with the force, just just block the force because the force is all living things, right? So these are living beings that are within the force. It just it 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 doesn't work as well for me now as it did back then unless you're the yuzhan vong was and you're not from this universe well that too see i don't mm. even accept that I'm, no yeah. but <laughs> no i don't know i don't think as a kid i i even thought about it you know i'm reading this and and i just accept everything you know yeah. um because i'm a kid i'm not being that critical uh and so i never ever thought about it not being what's well, the kryptonite for right the yes force. exactly right. for right. yep yep and um Man, that's a great way to put it. Kryptonite for the Force. Yeah, I, like I that. agree. Um, that is a great way to put it. It doesn't. Um, it doesn't jive with what we know about the Force. Even when I think about what Yoda said, it's created by all living things. It binds us and surrounds us. It you know binds the galaxy together. It kind of doesn't even make sense there. But I, uh, you know, at the same time. The galaxy's big and it's weird in Star Wars, and there's lots of unexplained weirdness. So this just, at the same time, I felt like, especially as a kid, and even now, it, okay, you know, I mean, it, it's well, I mean, for me, what I what I sort of reconciled back then, what I sort of like uh, came up with for my head canon, was that they didn't actually create anti force; they created like a. Uh, uh, just basically like a force cloak. So they were actually like using the force just in a different way than, uh, than they previously understood it. You know, like they, they were actually using the force maybe even in the way that, uh, you know, a, a Jedi or, or to use a term from this book, dark Jedi, uh, would have used to mask their presence, you know, from the outside world or something like that. So I, I don't know. Maybe I spent too much time trying to think it through. Or they're kind of like sucking in all the force around them. So it's it's like they're creating a bubble because they are finding a way to pull all of it into themselves. They're like so that, seismic charges for the force. There you, there go. you go. Yes. No, I have yeah. another take on I like that, that now. Too. Now okay. that the prequels are out, midichlorians, okay? You <laughs> yeah. communicate with the midichlorians. So they create enough noise in the force that the midichlorians mm -hmm. cannot hear you communicate with them. Perfect. Ooh, I like that too. I think, there you go. I think that's Perfect. great. Too bad that it's a Legends line thing now. Otherwise, <laughs> you could go write a book explaining yeah. <laughs> the East Alamiri finally. <laughs> right. well, well, talking through this and if it, it kind of, continues on with the original trilogy uh what did you think about just the plot points uh, of how this first novel is laying out i i do love that zon likes to start his novels as the films start with a ship flying through space with the star field it it 
it automatically feels very Star Warsy. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, what did you think about some of the the plot points and how this kind of sets up where this trilogy is going to go? Uh, you know, I mean, in terms of the story beats, you mean? Um, I, I agree with you. I think that uh, you know, starting off on an Imperial ship was a nice uh, you know w- way to bring it back in. Um, in terms of the general story beats, they felt very. Uh, I, I mean, revisiting it now. They felt very, um, I, like, I, I struggle for the right word, but very plain. And I don't mean that in, in a, I, I'm not meaning to uh, attack Mr. Zahn's, um, you know, writing style or anything like that. I, I'm just saying that, like, the, the plot progression is very safe. It's very linear. But again, I'm okay with that because it does harken back to the original Star Wars where it's, you know, it it goes from point A to point B to point C. It goes straight line all the way to the end. What I'll ding that for is that each film in succession made the stakes bigger, made everything grow bigger. And so while I understand the desire after so much time to go back and have the plot points sort of fall in that very linear fashion um, and very expected uh, route. If this is number four, you know, after Return of the Jedi, episode seven, however you want to call it, shouldn't it have been even bigger than, and I'm not saying necessarily a super weapon, but like shouldn't it have been even bigger in some way than... Uh, you know, what had come before? Shouldn't the stakes have grown? Because technically this is number four in the line and everything keeps getting bigger. Now, again, to revisit the whole no super weapon thing, right now I actually kind of applaud that because it does demonstrate, I think, a wise amount of restraint not to come in and say, and it's important because there's three Death Stars now. Like, it's... Let's give them a star killer base. What do you say? <laughs> well, hey, you know, things can work in context. I'm not going to knock anything before seeing it. Wait, but... what is that? Yeah. What... Mm. Uh... <laughs> well, if you look at that new poster, never yeah. mind. But, uh, you know, I, I think that I think that there's a, a fair amount of, um, you know, I'll, so I'll turn it around. I'll actually give it a compliment based on its uh, exercise of restraint to make it a more almost... Um, even though it's very linear, uh, sort of like Empire, it pulls back from any sort of super weapon idea and instead, you know, just moves the characters forward through the story. Yeah. Moving the characters through the story. That's exactly how I feel about it. It does feel like Star Wars. It feels somewhat like the movies. There's a lot of adventure. There's a lot of action. But... I think it would have worked better and felt more like a Star Wars movie if it didn't jump around to so many different planets, different Mm. locations. They're going from here to there. Then they get separated and they get back together again. Then they get separated again and and it's just jumping around. Star Wars works because the universe that is created feels real. And I think Mm. it would have felt more Star Wars if they would have just settled on a few locations and built upon the descriptions of those locations and make it feel real, like you're actually there and you you know every aspect of that environment. Uh, I did think the planet where Lando was 
uh, I don't remember the name of it, but I, I thought that was a cool concept and how they have to get there and avoid the sun and, and, uh, and getting burnt up. So they have this umbrella type vessel that protects the ships to bring them to them. And then there's the, uh, was a cruiser on top of a bunch of AT-ATs walking across yes. it? Yes. Yeah. I thought 40. Was, yeah, 40, 40 of them, which at first I'm like, really? Like, how would that work? I would almost think it would, those a cruiser might crush them or how does it balance on there? But it's just you know, little unique things like that, that were just, again, very weird because it's Star Wars. So you expect to see weird aliens and weird technology and weird things like that happening. So there's a lot of creativity in there. And, yeah. um, but yeah, the, I think it, it, I think it was trying to move a little too fast to different locations instead of just kind of building story in a, in a few locations. I think part of that is the freedom you do have in print. You know, you you're not paying for all this stuff, so you can have them visit all of these different places mm-hmm. in a book, and and you don't have to worry about the budget. You know, it, it, obviously George is making those films, and he can't have them visit twenty different planets. I mean, even in the prequels, we start visiting a lot more planets and a lot more places uh, than we ever did in the the original uh, trilogy, and it's. They're big, they're massive, they're whole societies, you know, uh, just Naboo alone has two societies, uh, and a bunch of different locations on the planet, you know, so you just, I thought that was one of the things that was really interesting, is that this series, and this book specifically, it just started playing with the idea of the freedom that you get, in the same way the freedom that you get in animation, too, uh, mm. where you can do much more, because it doesn't cost as much so that that was a really that was a fun thing for me to see, you know, I getting to the Wookiee planet and Makir and all these other places is even going back to Dagobah, this whole city planet, you know, I mean, it's it's a nice um, way to 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 kind of open up the series and help it feel just a little bit bigger than it did before. Yeah, I. I have a question, though, uh, so long as we're talking about, like, you know, the, the feel and everything and, you know, di- you know, different different parts of the story. Master Sabath, when you read it at the time, did you feel that it he was a good, successful character? Did he did he grab you? And now when you look at him. Do you feel that he would have worked better because this came out in an interview years later after the book. Would the character have worked better had Zahn been allowed to go with what his original impulse was, which was to make him an insane clone of Obi-Wan Kenobi, thereby introducing a real test for Luke in terms of his loyalties and stuff like that. So sort of like a two-pronged question there. What was your what was your reaction back then? How did he feel to you then? And now would he have worked better as an insane Kenobi clone? Even now, the idea of an insane Kenobi clone makes me want to vomit. Interesting. So I, I I don't like it. And one is because I don't like cloning characters and just bringing them back. Okay. Uh, I, I, I don't like it when they did it with the Emperor <laughs> and Dark Empire. Mm. So I made a joke earlier, and I don't like the idea now. Um, I, I think it's much better... Because, again, we don't have the prequels in there. So I have no idea what happened during the Clone Wars. So this is a real possibility for this to be the case. 
that somebody could have survived. Uh, you know, if Obi-Wan can do it, Yoda could do it, why not Jor Sabath? I mean, it, it just makes sense to me. Even now, it's not all that odd. Mm-hmm. You know, when I know that, like, Ahsoka's running around and Rebels, I mean, it it's not all that odd that Jor Sabath could have survived. And um, to me, the only thing I got from the character was, like, this guy's crazy, right? Like, I'm I'm not just crazy for thinking he's crazy. That was my question about him, like, as I was just reading through the story the first time when I was a kid. This dude's nuts, right? He's he's not all there. He's, he's not right in the head. Yeah. <laughs> um, so, uh, I don't know. What about you, Bruce? When I first read the novel, I don't remember what my impression was of him because when I think back then, uh, I really do like the character, but... I think that's more related to the entire trilogy of what happens later. Uh, I don't remember what I thought of him just in this novel at that time. Uh, this time reading it, uh, I feel the same way that I'd really, I'm, I'm somewhat interested in this character, but knowing what comes later makes me more interested in him. But to make him a clone of Obi-Wan, would, I would think it, it would have to be played differently. If you just took the novel today and you just took his name out and p- substitute Obi-Wan in there, it it I don't think it would work. It wouldn't feel right. Obi-Wan. Obi-Wan. That's right. Obi-Wan. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the thing for me that I thought was really successful in this novel and the way that you were talking about John does it ramp up the tension is that it goes all prequel on us here. Honestly, because this book is all about politics and, yeah. and and the politics on either side from the empire's politics to the new republic's politics and what's made this universe really murky is that it's kind of hard to tell who's a friend and who's an enemy even when they're supposed to be on our side and i liked that because this novel is creating a universe that yeah we won this war but i don't know like stuff's hitting the fan and that we weren't expecting to hit the fan at this point and and the the everything's a little bit grayer more so than we thought you know in the original trilogy and we don't necessarily know where to turn and we also saw just how you know badass thrawn is so uh, I don't know if he might not be able to pull up an upset. Yeah. Uh, in terms of the politics, uh, I remember uh, at the time I loathed uh, Borsk Falia and was convinced. I think we all still do. Convinced he had to be an agent of the Empire. Like back then, it was unfathomable to me that there would be anybody. Who had anything, you know, like who was on the rebellion side that would have been anything except this altruistic hero. And so Borsk Felia is sort of a, in a very interesting worldview shattering sort of character where, you know, they put him in there and it's like, oh, well, he's not a bad guy. He's just a jackass. And it's like, that was very hard for me to plug into uh, back then. Now, not so much. Like, I, you know, <laughs> I guess as you get older and you watch more politics happen, you're kind of like, oh, well, that, that's what happens. But, um, like, I, you know. Wait, wait, wait. You're saying there's somebody who's in politics <laughs> that's just out there for themselves? No. I know. Everybody take a minute, sit down, breathe deep. It happens. But, um, 
yeah, there is that political aspect of it. And I think reading it right now, because obviously Lucas was very, um, you know, very involved at the time with, you know, sort of like the story ideas and stuff. Because he, as I understand, he was the one that struck down the insane Obi-Wan thing, said like, no, that's not going to fly. But, uh, you know, I I think that um, it speaks to the idea that even even in Heir to the Empire, they were all about showing us that the rebellion winning at Endor wasn't the end, that they were going to have trouble putting their government together, that this was not going to be an easy victory by any stretch. Because you know, here it is five years later, and you know, for the go- for the fledgling government to even be having problems was sort of like what really okay. Like, you, you just sort of, like, because you come out of Jedi, you just think everybody's going to be all happy, and it's like, yay, Rebellion 1, we're all good guys now. That's how I felt after A New Hope. Once they blew up the Death Star, I thought the Empire was dead, but then I learned that Empire Strikes Back, oh, wait, they're, they're still around, there's still others, and that's going into this, too. You know, Return of the Jedi, back then I thought, okay, now it's over, now they killed the Empire and everybody. Bring up this novel, oh, no, wait, they're still there. It's yeah. still going. And, of course, going into the new movie, we're going to have the same thing. But uh, what what I really liked about uh, this novel when it came out was the idea that the Empire did continue. And uh, rereading it, I thought it was interesting that Luke is not involved at this point in creating any kind of new Jedi Order. He's working to help establish a government, which you usually think is what... Leia's role is is to establish the government mm. which she's doing but that's what Luke's focus is at the beginning of this novel and it just seems so odd that Luke Skywalker would focus on creating a new government and not creating a new Jedi order at this point so what has he been thinking for five years let's get a government up and going then maybe maybe I'll start training others as Jedi besides my sister Leia who's just discovering her Jedi powers so um it was interesting this time picking up on that. I don't I don't remember that from the first time I read it, but that he was focused on government, that that was interesting. Well, it seems like to me too that you know the novel makes pretty clear that Luke has been doing some learning about what it means to be a Jedi, uh practicing uh and trying to find out all he can about the Jedi from you know uh the, the Force Ghost Obi-Wan who's about to leave we'll talk about that later uh it, but and the idea of pushing to train leia you know and 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 then dealing with that so yeah it is an interesting thing though bruce you make a great point that the characters are all in places that are somewhat familiar but at the same time zon isn't just giving you exactly what you thought you were going to get you know he he's shaking things up a little bit and i i kind of liked that you know at the beginning of the book luke doesn't want the new republic to be on coruscant he he doesn't want that to be uh the head of the new republic government he doesn't think it's a good idea to be there uh, he thinks it sends the wrong message and and so it, it just shows too that luke and the jedi and <laughs> the only jedi uh is already somewhat at odds with the new government and that seems familiar for some reason. I can't quite place it. It seems like a story I have not heard since. Yeah, I, I mean, but I mean, but looking at, looking at everything in context of it, like, and even looking at it now, there's very much a sense of 
repetition, but no, I didn't, I don't actually feel like the characters have done much growth between the stories. Uh, you know, there's sort of like a token. It's like, oh, well, Leia's sort of trying to become a Jedi and she's pregnant now. But like in terms of Luke, if anything, he doesn't feel at all like the confident Jedi at the end of Return of the Jedi in this book. He feels almost as if he's taken a step back and is less confident about everything. Like in Jedi, he comes out of it and he is he's a Jedi. He is the Jedi. He's the personification of what a Jedi should be. And then in this book, he's sort of like hemming, hemming and hawing again and he's not very sure of himself. And like he, you know, like he feels almost like he's gotten younger in this book compared to Return of the Jedi. Well, because he had to advance real quick during the three movies to conquer the Empire and Darth Vader and the Emperor. And then once that was done, nothing's been going on for five years. So I guess maybe he's getting a little rusty and losing his confidence because, you know, there's really nothing to do with these Jedi powers right now. Hmm. Interesting. I didn't. I didn't see that though. What I saw was the fact that what was what does he know about creating a whole new Jedi order? I mean, he has had what three months of training, maybe at the most, and and I I think that that his insecurity comes from the fact of how do I complete the task that I've been given. And let's just talk about it. Okay, the books here don't make use of the idea that the Force Ghosts can be a benefit in any way. I mean, Obi-Wan has very little to do in the story, unfortunately, because they make up this reason that, well, it's time for him to pass on. You know, it's time for him to go to beyond. He's, he's... Ben has overstayed his welcome. What is he in Jedi Purgatory? Okay. Like that's 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 not at what it's it's the only thing that still bothers me about the story and it has nothing to do with the prequels or anything like that. It just doesn't fit what I would have thought and and now I'm confirmed in knowing that what it means to go on and be one with the Force and being able to manifest yourself. But this is where you and I will lock horns because it was actually a story element that I liked because it was, if anything, um, just looking at it as a story element. We all know that the Force ghosts are there. To introduce this idea that Obi-Wan, you know, that, you know, yes, there's he's he's embraced eternal life and he's like, well, you know, I life moves on. Things have got to progress, and I've moved on too. And so, Luke, you really are on your own right now, and you're a man, and you got to go out there, and you got to, you got to be a Jedi. You got to get your thing done, and I can't, you know, help you anymore. You've got to do this on your own. If anything, it feels, you know, it it feels right to me, just for the sake of removing a crutch for the character. So that Luke isn't at every opportunity running off somewhere and being like, hey, Obi-Wan, do you have any advice for me? Like Luke needs to be his own character, especially post-Jedi. He needs to be able to just stand on his own two feet. So like in terms of a story element, I'm totally down with it. I I understand what you're saying because I understand the idea of using as a crutch. 
But I also think that's a cop-out for the writers uh, to not have to write well those those characters. You know, y- mm-hmm. you can just say that... And because Yoda isn't even here at all. So I don't know what the heck that, that's about. And, and neither is Anakin. So why is Ben the only one who can, can visit? One, that doesn't make any sense uh, with what we saw in Return of the Jedi. And then two... I understand you're taking away a crutch, but I also think you're making for lazy writing because instead of actually having to think of smarter ways to have these Force Ghosts help, you just completely take them off the page. And to me, that's just laziness. I I, I disagree. I think that you stumble on a very intriguing question, though, because my mind went to why why doesn't Yoda come back too? Or why doesn't Yoda you know, show up with Obi-Wan? It's like, peace out. We're both going... But why is there never a force ghost interaction with Anakin? I think that it's that it's it's fine to take it off the table. I think it's better actually if instead of Obi Wan, Anakin is the one that comes back and says, "You know, I'm really proud of you." But you know, to to instead of just repeating everything, it's time for us to move on and for you to live your life in this world as your own self. Why isn't Anakin, why isn't his father who he's resolved everything with being the one to deliver that message to him? Why is it Obi-Wan and not Anakin? That would be cool. I would love to see Anakin come back. But if I'm just looking at this story alone as is, first of all, there's nothing that says Yoda and Anakin can't come back because they didn't come and say, hey, we got to get out of here too. It was just Obi-Wan. So maybe Timothy Zahn was going to bring them back later. I don't know why he decided to write Obi-Wan out of this, except for the fact that maybe it had to do with his original plan to make, to make Sabath the, the Obi-Wan clone character, and then that was pulled and he just left the scene in. Or he's looking at this and saying, you know, it's time for Luke to stand on his own, and this will be a completely different characterization of Luke as by himself and no longer having that crutch. And Obi-Wan says to Luke, I've lingered too long. It's it's time for me to move on. Very similar to Deep Space Nine, The Visitor, when you had Jake and Sisko, and, you know, Jake's father is attached to him, and, you know, he's telling Jake, it's time to cut the cord. It's time for you to be your own man. And I think that's maybe where he wanted to go with it, but it didn't play out that way. I don't think that came across later in the books. I do think that then you've answered the question, though, about why Luke might feel a little less evolved than here, because, again, he's very much faced with, I don't, I don't, there's, I can't go to, you know, Galactic Barnes and Noble and buy creating the Jedi Order for dummies, so how do I do this thing? And... What do I do to create this? Um, and that, I think, is an interesting place for Luke to have to be to to find a place to start, especially if you are going to do this thing where Obi-Wan and the rest of the Force Ghosts are, peace out, we're heading to, you know, Jedi Heaven Cancun. It's going to be awesome. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> Yeah. You see what I'm saying? Like I, I, I think the characterization of Luke actually works pretty well because No, that that's actually that's a great it, point. I, I will I will cede that point to you that that does answer why Luke would be uh, a little shaky on his own because he truly is uh 
on his own. So maybe that reconciles it for both of us. Maybe we can maybe we can quibble about, you know, like you don't like the manner in which Obi-Wan says he has to move on, but it does set the stage for Luke to be his own character without any help. And yeah, okay. That that does resolve that for me. Th- thinking it through. Thank you. I appreciate that. Well, and it's and it's an interesting thing because it does give a great characterization for Luke as well. I mean, he feels kind of like an orphan all over again. You know, he ah. grew up not having parents. Then he grew up obviously having his aunt and uncle die, <laughs> and now his, his father figure Ben died, and then he was back for a while, and now he's gone again oh and yoda was there for a while but now he's gone so it's like this guy just keeps getting left by people no wonder he has you know dependency issues well i (laughs) and the thing is i actually wrote down in the book this time um i I quibbled with the count of how many times he'd been orphaned because i felt they had left out the fact that he had been orphaned before he even had knowledge of being orphaned i was like well this is really a plus one guys um, but that's just, I actually <laughs> wrote that one. down in the margins <laughs> and I looked at it and I was like, oh my goodness, I just really need to get a hold of myself. Well, and what did you guys think about real quickly him and his training of Leia? I mean, obviously they've been working together a little bit, but then in this book, it's made pretty clear that Han really wants Leia trained as a Jedi. Leia wants that as well. And Luke's like, all right. Uh, let's do some exercise. I mean, like he, he, this is his first test of like trying to pass on what he's learned. You know, Leia has some familiarity, but now he's starting to try and teach. Well, he doesn't even have her make her own lightsaber. He just makes it for her, which was kind of a cheat there, I think. Yeah, kind of a cheat there, Luke. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's it's a it's a whole new ball game for Luke Skywalker trying to be, you know, the only Jedi left and pass it on to your sister like he was told. And he's not having the easiest time because, you know, she keeps hopping planets and mm. yeah, she you knows she doesn't stay around in one place very long. I feel like he's teaching her Jedi training 101. And I don't know if he's looking to train her to become the all-powerful Jedi or Jedi master. I think it goes back to what we were saying before that... Or what I was saying before about, you know, five years of not really any big things going on. So, you know, do we need more Jedi? Do I need to keep training as a Jedi? I've kind of accomplished what I needed to do. Oh, wait, my sister, she's got some powers there. Well, you know, maybe I'll I'll teach her a few things that I've learned, too. And, you know, because sometimes when she's in danger, she could, you know, maybe use a little force punch here. Or maybe I'll make her a lightsaber and she can use that if she needs to. I'll, I'll train you a few things. That's how it came across to me. It was just kind of like, yeah, yeah, I'll I'll train you some things here, Leia. You know, just because you know it's in the family, it's in the blood. <laughs> <laughs> or uh, have you ever wanted to know how to pass fruit over to Han with the Force? I'll teach you that. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Well, I think it's definitely time that we talk about. Uh, the, the new characters because that's one of the things that this book really did and I think it does very well is add some very iconic people to the Star Wars mythos and uh, I I was you know uh, you mentioned earlier John Mara Jade still love Mara Jade yeah. uh, you know as you said everybody loves uh, you know 
the fiery redhead, and Mara is definitely that. Yep. Uh, Thrawn, Pelion, you know, um, Jorah Sabath, Talon Card, Borisk, and uh, of course the Nogri. Uh, all of these characters. Uh, what are some of the things that stood out for you guys uh, with, uh, you know, having them as new people along with all the old familiar favorites? Uh, the story belongs to the original crew, but uh, I really think that what makes Heir to the Empire, what, what made it work for me then and what makes it work for me now is the newer characters. And I have the same reaction now that I did then, which is I wanted to spend more time with Thrawn and I wanted to spend more time with Mara Jade. Uh, Talon Card feels like a necessary but non-engaging character for me um so it feels a little crowded in terms of you know the the characters but again it's it's a book so it can it has that breathing space but i really would have liked to spend more time with thrawn especially and uh, and mara jade as well because i thought that those were the two along with pelayan because i i don't want to give short shrift to pelayan because i thought pelayan was a really interesting character, is a really interesting character by which we get to know Thrawn better. Um, I, I thought that that's really where Zahn shines, is showing us Thrawn through Pelayan's eyes, through the, you know, quote-unquote average guy's eyes, so that when Thrawn does his thing, we have a character that is like relating to him the way we would, which is like, you looked at a sculpture and that's how you know who did that? You know, like that that sort of like healthy natural skepticism. But yeah, you know, like Thrawn and Jade are are like the other extra characters in it are there for me and they're they're all well and good, but those are the two that just boom popped out at me. Yeah, I feel the same way, but I I really do like all the characters. Uh I would like to know more about uh Thrawn uh in this book. I will of course, you know, we'll get to know more about him in later books. Um I think what stood out with this book compared to, for example, A New Hope, the original trilogy, is those movies seem to focus on the villain as being Darth Vader, where this seemed to be an ensemble of villains. Uh, so I like the idea that there were multiple characters that were growing and, and building upon, and Talon Card is, I found him more interesting than John did. Um I he I thought he was pretty cool. I mean, you know, he's he's kind of the the guy who replaced Jabba the Hutt, but is a totally different character. And of course, he's not a hut; he's a human. And uh, he had good interplay with Mar Jade and Mar Jade and Luke. A uh, lot of lot of nice little chemistry going on there. Uh, gee, I wonder where that's gonna go. Hmm. <laughs> yeah, probably nowhere. Uh, so. Well, I you know. I would say that uh, the three of us were married men. I think we can all relate to the idea of, uh, you know, falling in love with somebody that at some point wanted to kill us. I mean, I think that's just a natural <laughs> sort of thing. Or, okay, it's just me. Sorry. Okay. <laughs> no, I, when I did, my wife, she didn't want to kill me. She wants to kill me now. That's the difference. <laughs> okay. uh, so we've got the plot progression backwards. All right. Gotcha. There we go. Okay. Nice. Uh, you know, uh, one of the things that I rereading this uh, that I really did like was I loved 
Thrawn is a villain. Uh, you know, we talked about just a little bit earlier. I love the fact that he is completely different than what we had in the original trilogy. And that a non-Force user is trying to use a Force user to their advantage. And this this really interesting thing, too, that he brings up about the, the idea that the reason that the Empire was so successful for so long was because of the Emperor and his use of the Force basically in battle mode, you know, like battle melding with uh, his troops and, and giving them the Imperial spirit. And now that that's gone, that's one of the reasons that the Empire's had so much trouble over the f five years of trying to regain any kind of foothold is it's lost that fighting spirit. And the only way to get it back is with this Dark Jedi, George Sabath. And, and I just, it, like you were talking about, uh, John, the idea that, you know, he's teaching Pelion his tricks of the trade of how he knows all these mm. things because he studies people and their art and their and their history and their literature and all that. And it, it tells him about who these people are. And, like, he's just, he's just a scary villain because yeah. he's so calm, cool, and collected. And he seems to be like that. CIA operative in the film who knows everything about everyone all the time, yeah. even before they yeah, know that it themselves. Me a little. No, but see, but see, that's what actually I really like at uh, at, a, at a couple of specific points is the Pelayan can tell that Thrawn wants to like choke the ever living s out of people, but he's like keeping it contained. Like that, there's a, a really brilliant humanization of Thrawn. When things go sideways, and Pelayan can tell that he's actually struggling with the idea of just not grabbing somebody by the collar, like grabbing Sabath by the collar and just slapping the crap out of him. And he's, but he's like, but I'll stay calm because I need to. Like, I like that. I, I like that he's not uh, Spock about it all the time, that he is, you know, he's a person who just has extremely great control of his emotions. Well, that's because he knows everything, so he doesn't need to get emotional. He, he knows what's happening, and he knows what's going to happen in the future. He's Sherlock Holmes of the Star Wars universe. Wait, maybe he's like uh, maybe he's like Hank Scorpio from The Simpsons. <laughs> right. He like walks up. See, I didn't even give you my coat. <laughs> you know, on top of that, you know, I like that we have this. You know, I, I enjoyed Talon Card. I think a little more than you did, John. I thought he was a really interesting replacement for Jabba the Hutt and the fact that you, you kind of have this honor among thieves kind of thing going on at the same time. He, he it, There's more of a struggle there. Like You could tell this guy has a struggle of, of probably wanting to be more on the side of, of the New Republic, but at the same time, it's a business. You know, it's, it's, it's not personal. It's just business. Mm. And trying to do business on both sides... That's how you got to play it, and and I kind of liked that uh, almost mobster mentality that he has. Yeah, uh, with that, and uh, you know, I mean, Mara Jade is she is still probably the most popular and well liked and or hated character from hated the, the EU. Who on I'm earth sure could hate Mara Jade? That hate her. That's like yeah, an I don't know. I'm just saying, I I didn't want to like generalize and just not say somebody might not uh, like her yeah. i love her uh, yeah. she's <laughs> fantastic 
So, right, Bruce? There's got to be some people that don't uh, like her. Sure, whatever. No, 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 Bruce. Don't do this to, don't do this to me. No. I mean, I'm sure that we could probably point to some message board somewhere uh, where people didn't like her. I, I don't know why you wouldn't. She's fantastic. So that is true. Uh, That's a scientific well, fact. <laughs> I like Mara Jade. Well. Okay, any good. things that uh, worked or didn't or anything like that yes. for you? Oh, sh- should I tell you? <laughs> uh, <laughs> so, one, uh, this isn't a big deal, but I, I just Smart really wanted ass. to point this out. Yeah, Luke, after Return of the Jedi, Luke is working on his Jedi powers. But there is one thing that Luke did learn in that five-year period, but it wasn't from Obi-Wan. It wasn't from Yoda. It was from Lando. Luke Skywalker learned how to make hot chocolate. Yeah. 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 Way no, to go, I, buddy. I, no, I'm, I'm with you, Bruce. I see where you, I feel you. I, I see where you're going there. Yeah, that one just didn't work for me. I'm like, really? We have Swiss Miss in the Star Wars universe? Does it have little marshmallows in there? Is it sugar-free? <laughs> Is it a packet? I don't know. It just No, let's not call it hot chocolate. <laughs> yeah. I, I'm seriously, I'm totally with you, especially because it is a bit of business that is completely irrelevant to everything else. There, I mean, seriously, like there is that moment where he's like, oh, he, I made hot chocolate. Ha ha ha. And it's like, no, no, do not wink at me in this moment. <laughs> like you've, you're just trying to sell me on the idea of this book, even in the first place. And now you're throwing hot chocolate. I, I, I agree with you, Bruce. I, I do. And the only other problems I have, again, are just I felt that the ending was uh, dissatisfying. Um, and I felt that uh, I wanted to spend more time with certain characters. Yeah, I agree. The same thing. But outside of that, it's a great book. Yeah. What I what I liked, actually, I kind of liked the end because there was that one piece of information that Thrawn hadn't taken into account. And that was where they had stolen mm. these, you know, uh, these droid fighter things from the mole miners, the mole miners. Yes. And that they had the ability to be slaved together, which also meant that they had command codes. So Lando does his Kirk thing and puts in the command codes and takes them out, which I just, I, I really thought that that was a smart thing because it also kind of let you know at the beginning the Achilles heel of Thrawn, that there's going to be something he's going to miss. And it gave you that little hint that they can beat this guy, but it's going to be really tough and... I, I, that for me really worked. Um, I love we got to visit Kashyyyk, vi- meet more Wookies. Oh, uh, another pronunciation yeah, thing just, though. We didn't know it was called Kashyyyk back then. How did you guys pronounce it? I think that may I have didn't. been how I always <laughs> said it. <laughs> that my it, I had a friend back then who convinced me that it needed to be pronounced Kashyyyk, and that was what I went with for years. Oh, that's yes. That's that's uh, uh, that's a lot of unfortunate. It's a lot of unfortunate. Yeah. And that's it's a lot of unfortunate. That's, that's why when episode three, when they're like Kashyyyk, I was like, yes, finally, I have an official source to kill that in my brain. 
Oh yeah. Um, but I, I mean, there was that, I, I really enjoyed, um, the, the new characters as I talked about. And on a whole, I, I think I really liked, well, and I caught this in the reread, uh, Zygerian slavers are mentioned. Oh yeah. So that's kind of cool. They'll pull that out later on. Um, and the fact that Luke visited the cave again and, you know, that the cave again told him something, which was kind of fun because now that I think about it retrospectively, Yoda visits that cave before he's on Dagobah in the Clone Wars and the cave does the same thing for him. So that cave has the ability to kind of show you the future or the past or whatever it feels like it needs to tell you about yourself or the situation you're in and so i just liked that they used that and i've already seen that again before confirmed and so there was just there were fun things that get played out in this book and other places after it's out and it was nice but i thought it was a great plot point for luke to say okay where's the one place in the galaxy that i can go where there's a strong connection in the force dagobah you know it just i don't know I I think it works. So, um, for you guys, uh, what would you rate uh, Heir to the Empire? Heir to the Empire, not Heir to the Jedi. Yeah. Okay, Bruce? <laughs> well, for Heir to the Jedi... I, no, I'm sorry. For <laughs> for Heir to the Empire, uh, I, I like this book better now than I did back then uh, because I think I'm just used to now reading Star Wars novels. So it was something different for me back then for the reasons that I explained earlier. But but I, I really enjoyed it. Uh, I would say I would give it um, I would give it four hot chocolates out of five. <laughs> uh, I You know what? I would say that r- right now and not necessarily in a negative way the first time i read this i was 16 17 years old and rose-colored glasses the thrill of new star wars i thought you know i walked around telling everybody they had to read it it was a wonderful fantastic work of fiction that had been unparalleled since the days of shakespeare and just everybody you know i I was walking around i was tolstoy eat your heart well eh, you know don't get me started on tolstoy but uh i would say that uh nowadays being a veteran of Star Wars Expanded Universe and all of that sort of thing, I, it still comfortably rests at four Salamiri nutrient tubes out of five. Nice. I like that. I, goodness. Um, you know, uh, I, w- I was trepidatious, you know, when I thought about doing this uh, with the 602 Club because I thought, oh, what if the book doesn't live up? Like, mm-hmm. what if I reread it and I'm like, oh, this sucked. What was I thinking back then? And and because that can happen. And I, honestly, I probably have not read this book since 1991 when it came out. Um, I, I just haven't had the opportunity to go back and reread it. And I've always liked it, but I wasn't sure how it would live up for me. And and so one of the things I had to do was put myself in the mindset. Okay, I'm back in 1991. Purge all the other things you know about Star Wars from your mind. Think only about the original trilogy. Go. And I was really able to do that. There would be minor things every once in a while. I'd be like, eh. and then I'd be like, nope, nope, nope. It's fine because you don't know that. And I found myself just really enjoying the story. I, I, I enjoyed being back with the characters aside from the hot chocolate bit. 
<laughs> it was fun. It was inventive. It was broadening the horizons. And strangely enough, the series was kind of doing a lot of things that the prequels would do that people would complain about later with all the politics and all of that mm, kind of stuff. True. And it it was very interesting for me to see. So I really, really enjoyed this book again. Um, I'd say you guys are right on target. This is four out of five Wookiee guards nice. on Kashyyyk. Nice. Uh, it's... It's solid. It's a great way to start what we thought of then as maybe the episode seven. And I am very excited to continue with you guys as we talk about uh, Dark Force Rising and The Last Command and really round this out before we hit The Force Awakens. And just as a fun exercise of saying, hey, th remember when we thought this might be episode seven, eight, and nine? Um, uh, because um, you know, as a Star Wars fan, we've we've really gotten blessed. You know, they've they've treated us as fans, I think, uh, very well, and uh, given us plenty of material to enjoy over the years. So I'm really glad uh, we're doing this. And so, um, want to say before we go, a special thank you to the associate producers we have here on the show, Ken Tripp and Davis Grayson. These guys through Patreon are associate producers, and they help make sure that. Ruby and the 602 Club are here for you every week with something new and fun. Make sure you check us out on Patreon and how you can support the network and keep these shows coming to you each week. We are a listener-supported network, and that means that... So instead of having all the ads and everything like that, we rely on the benefit of the patrons that give us the funds to be able to continue to make the best quality content we can for Star Wars and other things obviously with the 602 Club. Go to patreon.com slash trekfm. You can find out all about how you can keep these shows coming to you. We've got some different goals that we're trying to reach, and we also have some amazing things to give back to you. We have the patron zone, patron.zone that Christopher Jones just created for our patrons, $5 a month. You get early access to shows, great wallpapers, ringtones, and other exclusive things that nobody else in the network gets. And, of course, we have the Patreon Roundtable for people 25 and over, and that's bi-monthly now. So more time for you to get a chance to do your own podcast with hosts from around the network. So, again, go to patreon.com slash trekfm and see how you can help us out and become part of the team today. Well, guys, I love the fact that uh, we get to sit around and talk about Star Wars and uh, that Ruby lets us do that. But before we go... You both are doing some amazing podcasts yourself, and so I want to make sure that you have ample opportunity to tell everybody about those. Bruce, where can people find you online? And please let everybody know about uh, where you spend most of your time in Cloud City Casino. <laughs> yes, I'm at the Cloud City Casino with Lando and his hot chocolate. And uh, that's with Michael Morris, and it is a gaming and collecting and really all fandom podcast about uh, Star Wars, and it's part of the StarWarsReport.com family, which I also write for occasionally. And uh, wait, what else am I doing? I can't remember what I'm doing all the time. But hey, you can find me on Twitter. I'm at Admiral underscore Rex. And uh, just I wanted to mention real quick that uh, I took my original... Uh, heir to the Empire novel last year to Dragon Con and had 
Timothy Zahn sign it. And so that was nice. That was important to me because that was like the novel that started all this in the EU. And just to take my 91 copy and have him sign it was really cool. Awesome. That is really cool. And John, uh, before we go, let everybody know where they can find you here on the network and elsewhere on that fantastic little podcast we like to call Words with Nerds. Oh, well, thank you, Matthew. Yeah, uh, you can find me on Words with Nerds. It's a uh, podcast that I co-host with my buddy Craig, uh, iTunes, Stitcher, and all the rest. Uh, you can find me here on the network on uh, Commentary Trek Stars uh, with uh, Mr. Michael Schindler. And uh, currently we're going through the work of uh, Simon Pegg as we spend the last season of Commentary Trek Stars examining the work of everybody putting together Star Trek Beyond. Uh, and then, of course, on Twitter, you can find me trolling the trolls at Kessel Junkie. John, don't you have uh, oh. also a blog that people might want to or or and and no, I, you're... not only the blog, but also you've got show vote where you're reviewing some great Star Wars material. I thank you very much for mentioning that. Yes, I am uh, doing a an episode by episode review of Star Wars Rebels season two for a site called showvote.com. And I'm also working on a couple other pieces uh, for them as well. Um, it, it's a really fun site. So, yeah, uh, come on over and, and, and check out showvote.com, uh, especially if you're watching Rebels, uh, because this season has been a real sort of uh, fans' joyous moment on television yet again. Well, awesome. I, I, I needed to make sure that all the fans, especially the Star Wars fans, knew about that because I, every week, am, am, am just waiting for, for John's review to, to let me know how I should feel about the episode well, thank you. Uh, for Rebels that week. So, thank you. Uh, yeah, fantastic work there, my friend. And, and you can find me on Twitter at MattRushing02, um, on Instagram at MRushing. You can also find Trek FM there, so start following Trek FM for some fun things at Trek FM on Instagram. You can also find me on The Orb with Christopher Jones talking about everything Deep Space Nine. Uh, recently, we've had some fantastic interviews as well with uh, Aaron Eisenberg and Michael Dorn, so check those out. You can also find me on Literary Treks with Dan where we're talking about the books and the comics of Star Trek. We interview the authors there, so such a fun place to be if you enjoy Star Trek literature, as we talked about Star Wars literature this week. And you can also find me on my own personal blog at 42lifeinbetween.wordpress.com. Well, thank you so much for joining us, and may the Force be with you. Boom, 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 boom.